Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tooth and Claw Podcast. We have our wildlife biologist and animal expert, Wes Larson, in the house. In the house. <laughs> Is that a gorilla or is that just you? It's just a grunt. You're, you're yeah. just cheering me. And then we got people with animal knowledge also here. Yep. Limited. Jeff and Mike Smith and <laughs> sure. Jeff Larson. Yeah. This is part three, so you don't need a real introduction to us. No. If you're starting here, go back and listen to part one and part two of this series. Yes. Do it right now. Unless. Unless what? You like just starting at the end. Like mom. Yeah. Unless you read the end of the Harry Potter books yeah. before the start. Like Cyrus. Like our brother. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you got some macaws hanging from your mic? Yeah, I That's thought nice. I may as well decorate while I'm here. I give you an People octopus. People are not going to know ones. what you're talking about. He's right got now. like some beaded little macaw trinkets that are hanging from his microphone. Right. I actually did try hanging up your octopus first, but like the eight legs, you know, mm-hmm. how many legs? Octo- That's too many legs. Octopodes have. Yeah. They spread out a little bit too much. They tickle right. my trachea while I'm talking. <laughs> okay. Fair yeah. enough. Well, I like your macaws. Thanks. Uh, uh, we were just talking about post-grunge rock bands a little bit. So that's like, I think it's kind of the sweet spot in between grunge and new metal. Sweet's a weird yeah, word. Sweet's not the right word. <laughs> but we're talking about like Bush, Filter, <laughs> Fuel, lots of one word band names. And we brought up the band Filter and Mike said that the guy from Filter, they had that song, Hey Man, Nice, or... Hey man, nice shot. Nice shot. But I looked up on Wikipedia, and an interesting tidbit about that guy, Mm -hmm. his brother is Robert Patrick, the guy that plays T-1000 in the Terminator movies. And they look a lot alike. So isn't that, that's neat. That's crazy. It'd be neat if I knew who he was. But yeah, I don't. Well, he's the so lead singer of the band Well, just filter. think about T U one thousand. Yeah, I know and you who got that is. Yeah, so you've got yeah, it. But just picture him as the, the front man filter. of the band. Yeah. Oh, I can see. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, yeah pretty you neat. You can like go through <laughs> prison bars and stuff. Cool. Anyway, interesting fact. That's our post grunge fact of the day. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of T one thousand, who's the gun nut. He could be. It no, may... I don't feel like he would be. You don't? I feel like that'd be hard on his career if he was. He plays a cop a lot, I feel like. I don't know. I'm just still thinking about T1000. But <laughs> it's hard he's to stop. not really a cop. He kind of is. He's in, I feel like he's one of those actors that just pops up in everything, you know? And yeah. you're always kind of happy to see him. You're like, right. oh, it's Robert Patrick. Yeah, I like him. Yeah. Especially as a killer robot. Yeah. Is he even a robot? Do you think yeah. T1000's a robot or just like goo? He's, he's more of a goo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> huh. When they yeah. first send him. But he's made of metal, though. When he shows up, he shows up as Robert Patrick, right? In the movie? Naked. Yeah. So yeah. he has a form. Yeah. He's Wait, naked. is it's he naked? Like, yeah, I think I so. I thought everyone else but him showed up naked. No, I'm pretty he's sure he shows naked. up naked. And he's all mm. like kind of crouched into a little ball. Yeah. yeah. But okay. anyway, I was, I was just curious. Everyone else? Well, so Arnold shows. Yeah, who's everyone else? Arnold shows up as naked. Oh, right? and Michael Bain. Michael Bean, Bean. he he yeah. shows up. Uh, Connor, he's he's kind of like naked in like a trench coat at the very beginning of You're one. Right. So right. everyone's just naked in Terminator. That's kind of cool. Clothes yeah. don't go with you, dudes. N- dudes are naked. Dudes are it's naked. a good it's a good little wrinkle there. The added. iguanas naked. You gotta go naked. Yeah, <laughs> right. Go do back you, in time. Do you think the person manning the machine? It's just like a prank they're playing on everyone, and like yeah. they send everyone and they're like, hey, just so you know, <laughs> you clothes like, do go through this like, thing. 
turns into like they actually think that once yeah, like yeah. that guy who started it dies right everyone's like you have to <laughs> you go have naked to, right or no yeah. one's ever challenged they it. send you on that mission everyone's always talking about we have a chance to go back and kill hitler but you're gonna show up naked <laughs> and then the guy's just like ah i don't think I don't i'm gonna know. do it then <laughs> you gotta do it you gotta kill hitler even if you're naked yeah go do it um, that's what if anyone, I wouldn't kill him. That's my opinion. You don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Butterfly maybe effect. it ends the world. I yeah. I'm oh, not true. That it's like that terrible book you had me read, the Stephen King one. Oh, um, I hated that. Eleven twenty three seventy sixty. John, yeah, John so, Kennedy date. Yeah. Real quick before we get started, I want to get your thoughts on something Mike told me he does. Okay. So he goes to a gas station here in Utah called Maverick. Mm-hmm. Which is like one of the more popular gas stations. They're popular. Us Americans, we love our favorite gas stations. We love a convenience it's store. It's a thing. <laughs> yep. They are. There is something about them, though. Maverick's a good one. They have the self-checkout lines. That's that's where I'm going. So Mike loves it because they have a self-checkout line. Yeah. But where I think he's in the wrong is he's saying when no one's in line and the cashier's just like sitting, standing there staring him down, he still goes to the no checkout line and does it all himself. I feel like that makes the situation a little bit more awkward hmm. than just going to the cashier and like saying like, I don't oh, think there is it still raining outside? Yeah. Nope, it actually hasn't rained in like three days. But oh, wouldn't, okay. wouldn't you love to not have to have that little conversation? I think I'm with Mike on this one. But yeah. then like, don't they still talk to you? Not usually. No, they don't. They just stare at you? I don't make eye contact. I do like every every little body language sign I can make. To yeah. like, I'm plus, not available. Plus, if you use the self checkout one, you can steal. Well, when you're in a grocery store, <laughs> I don't that's steal not on there. <laughs> that's Wes speaking for himself. But when you go to like a grocery store, do you, do you use self checkout lines or do you always go to a cashier? I go to self checkout every time. So but why is it different? People in line at the always. Well, I will walk. It's by like open a separate ones. area. The cashier's not standing like. Right. A foot away from okay. yeah, waiting sure. for something I, I, to This do. is actually interesting you bring this up because the other day at Walmart, I realized I walked by like three completely open lanes with the checker yeah. to go to the self-checkout. Yeah. If I have an open lane, I'll go to the checkout. But that's because I'm enrolled mm-hmm. in Walmart's rewards, self-checkout rewards program. And for all everyone out there who works checkout lanes, it's not, it's not you, it's me. I'm just I don't want to talk like to him if I don't. Exactly. Like, yeah. I'm sure they're awesome, pleasant people. I just went I just went to the local convenience store here where we're recording. And as I was checking out, they were like, oh, lots of green, huh? Because I bought two things that were green. <laughs> and and it ruined like, your day, I was right? like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> sure is. Yeah. I know. I, I don't. I feel I feel like I'm sound like a crank here. But I just sometimes you just want to buy your products and get out of there. Just get in know? and out. Yep. I no. I think grocery stores are completely different, though. If the employee's like two feet away from you waiting and then you go self checkout, yeah, like that's a different vibe. But if I put myself in there, Fair we're enough. talking about this maybe too much, but if I put myself in their shoes, I'm the kind of person who would like be stoked if someone went to the self checkout line instead yeah. of, like, yeah, making there's me no do way stuff. that person that's checked out like 50 people already that hour, <laughs> right? Is like, oh, like I really wanted to talk yeah. to him. You know, unless they're working commission or something. Yeah. They're doing a bad job if that's the case. I've never heard a sales pitch for the beef sticks I get. Uh, well, that's interesting, but I'm with you on that one. I'll always use self checkout. Thanks, dog. You're welcome. Me and you forever. Do you guys want to talk about sharks? Oh, I'd love to. I want to talk about sharks. Me too. I'd love nothing more. I'll say this. this We've been doing this series for a little while now. 
Um, we decided to release them on our typical schedule, so bi-weekly. So it's given me a lot of time to think about sharks. I've been thinking about sharks for over a month now. Uh, I'm ready for a West, I'm ready for a changeup. Traveled to Utah to like do part three with us, and like pretty quick when he got here, he's like, "I'm ready to be done thinking about sharks." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about them a lot. I've been dreaming about them. I've been like reading everything I see that pops up. Right now, my Discover feed on my Instagram is just sharks. Which honestly, it just used to be sharks and dinosaurs, but now it's just sharks. <laughs> uh, need, need dinosaurs in there. Yeah, yeah we'll do a I, dinosaur episode, a three-part yeah. dinosaur episode next. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna get into part three. We're talking about the 1916 Jersey Shore shark attacks. I think if you are looking at shark attacks in the world, this is probably like the Titanic of shark attacks. This is like the one that everyone talks about that kind of redefined the way that we look at sharks, especially in the United States. It's a really interesting story. It's one that I had no idea was as complicated and nuanced as it is. I've read two books on it. The books that I'm mostly using for the the episodes are 12 Days of Terror by Richard G. Fernicola. And then I'm also using Close to Shore by Michael Capuzzo. So those have been my main sources of, of information, but also a number of different articles that I found online, a number of different studies, a couple I'll reference today. It's been a it's been a real a real journey learning about all this. Those authors sound like they could be from Jersey. Especially Capuzzo Michael Capuzzo. I know. <laughs> I love sandwich those such good names. Shops. Yeah, they yeah. do sound like sandwich shops. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I'm excited. Okay. I mean, the third part of the trilogies are always the best one. Yep. Yeah. I I don't know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Godfather. Return of the Jedi. Star, yeah. The Ewoks. You know, Return of the King got the most True. Uh, Oscars out of all those. But, but we all know the best. that was a... Yeah. Yeah, that movie's terrible. <laughs> it's not. It's great. <laughs> uh, all right. So a quick recap. In part one, we talked about the deaths of Charles Van Sant and Charles Bruder two 20-something-year-olds that were killed by sharks while they were out swimming in the Jersey Shore. On part two, we talked about the attacks in Matawan Creek. So that was the deaths of Lester Stilwell and Stanley Fisher. Lester Stilwell was the 11-year-old. Stanley Fisher was the 20-something-year-old that rescued him or tried to rescue him and died later. And then the attack on Joseph Dunn, who was the 12-year-old kid that almost lost his leg to the shark in Matawan Creek as well. So that's the recap. We've had these five attacks, four fatalities, which is pretty insane, and it has completely shook the country. This is something that just has never happened before. So what used to be just this kind of local paranoia about sharks on the Jersey Shore the week previous is now countrywide hysteria. Like, people cannot get enough news about these shark attacks. Like, this is what's dominating the news headlines. Sounds fun. Yeah, so four people had been killed. Joseph Dunn's still recovering in the hospital. Lester Stilwell's body still hasn't been recovered. And this Matawan man-eater, they were calling it, is still at large. So they took steel mesh nets and they placed them over the entrance to Matawan Creek, where it goes into Raritan Bay. And then they launched this really big shark hunt. So everyone wanted to kill the shark. And throughout Matawan especially, there was the sound of dynamite going off in the creek, sun up to sundown. People were just chucking dynamite in the creek. They did all these. <laughs> they get lucky. Yeah, they did these photo shoots where they got these beautiful women to point guns down in the water and stuff. And when you look <laughs> up images of these attacks, you will see those images often, like these women standing on the shore pointing like twelve gauges in the water. But even though this large hunt was launched in Matawan, they didn't find the shark. So a number of different rewards were offered for the responsible shark. 
And there was even a Madawan wanted poster that was nailed to like every <laughs> post in town. And did it have a bounty? It did. Oh, it was a so hundred dollar cool. reward for anyone killing the shark that was believed to be responsible. Oh man. Um wasn't that other guy who the rich CEO guy was like five thousand dollars? Five hundred dollars. Which was like Still. I can't remember what we said, somewhere around seven thousand dollars. How many berries today's money? Berries? What is the berries (laughs) to dollar? (laughs) Oh, uh, you guys lost me on that. (laughs) That's a lot of berries. Yeah, I lost a lot of people on that. (laughs) So news is traveling really fast about these new attacks. Once again, bathers refused to go in the water up and down the Jersey Shore. A lot of people that had trips planned for the Jersey Shore that summer canceled um, the resorts, the shops, the hotels, the restaurants. They're all losing tons of money. In fact, hotels were reporting 75% vacancies throughout the rest of the summer because pretty much everyone that was coming to the Jersey Shore, a big part of their plan was to swim in the ocean, and they didn't want to do that anymore. So they're just canceling their trips. And it's thought that about $7 million in today's money was lost because of the sharks, which honestly isn't that much. That doesn't, yeah. But I think also money gets spent a lot more freely these days than it did back then. It was a big hit. It was enough to where... It, it was substantial for a lot of these businesses. Sure. They need that mayor from Jaws. Yeah. Get yeah, he doesn't care. Going. He'll put people back in the water. Yeah, He'll yeah. force them back in. Uh, so a big part of all this, though, the reason these hotels are losing money is because of all the news headlines that are coming out about the attacks. For months, the news in all the major newspapers around the country was World War One. That was what everyone was talking about. It was always the first thing you would see when you open your newspaper was World War One. And I think, in my mind, I bet the newspaper men were kind of excited to have a change. They had something else to talk about. And so these attacks started being on the front page nationwide. And then there's this really kind of storybook aspect to this where this little boy was killed and Stanley Fisher dove into the water and essentially fought this shark to try and recover the body. It's this whole, like, it was hard to even write a story this good. So it's pretty interesting. And then Joseph Dunn narrowly escaping, also being killed by the shark. It's just really interesting. So this is a headline in the New York Times on July 13th, 1916, my birthday. Um, Happy birthday. Also, I was in Alive, though. The bald guy and the old guy. Oh, yeah. Also, the bald guy. (laughs) Patrick Stewart and Harrison Ford. That's their names. We know your listeners. All right, here's the headline. Shark kills two bathers. This is the headline and, like, the sub-headline. Shark kills two bathers, maims one, near New York swims 10 miles from sea through Raritan Bay and into Small Creek for its prey. Boy torn from hip to knee, another dragged down to death by monster fish. Leg of third, twice bitten. Town scorns two warnings, man-eater seen in Matwan Creek on Sunday. One boy seized in three feet of water. Shark kills two bathers, maims one. So not only are they talking about these attacks, but they're also blaming this town, kind of saying, like, you were warned because that Thomas Cottrell guy did try to warn him. Sure. Yeah. And the boy that got, what was his name? Rennie Cartlin also tried to warn him. I like how old newspapers read. It's almost like staccato. Yeah. Because they're just saving every letter is like more ink and more page space. They're yeah. trying to save every every it's, little millimeter possible. It sounds like someone translating like a... The Morse code. Um, the Morse code, yeah. exactly. So both the general public and the scientific community are starting to look at sharks in a whole new way. How do you think that headline would go today? It would be like... That'd be a tweet. Oh, man. Yeah, it'd be a tweet. Monster killer shark on the loose. 
Yeah, there'd be something Got about taste like of blood politics and now savagely yeah. Yeah. eating young boys. And then it'd be like Elon Musk says he doesn't care or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah it'd be these like, seventeen celebrities react to yeah. the shark. Yeah. Elon Musk says he'll bring the boys back to life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's and perfect. calls local marine biologists a pedophile. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So the scientific community's waking up now to these shark attacks. They're starting to look at sharks a whole new way. So Frederick Lucas, who again we talked about was kind of the main naturalist in the area, he made a public admission that he was wrong. He was one of the two that said that this was likely an orca, along with um, Nichols, John Nichols, I think, his, uh, his associate. But he made this public admission. He said he was wrong. The victims were indeed killed by sharks. Mm. So on July 13th in New York, he set up a meeting with Dr. John Nichols and Dr. Robert Murphy, who was from the Brooklyn Museum. So that they could all put their heads together and come up with a theory on why this is happening and what might be happening. So they came up with a few different ideas. One was that the bodies from naval battles and sunken ships had given sharks a taste for human flesh. So there had been these, you know, the Lusitania was sunk, a few other ships that had been sunk, plus these naval battles near Europe. And maybe sharks had started eating more people and it kind of been passed along among sharks that people taste good. So that was maybe one thought. Another was that U-boats patrolling the water had led to less sea traffic, so there's fewer people going out in ships, and people at that time in their ships would dump waste, sometimes animal waste, over the side of the ship. Oh, And their thought was maybe sharks that had been feeding on all that, that waste that had been dropped into the water had lost that source of food, so they were now turning toward people as a source of food. They even talked about a really kind of out there theory that maybe the Germans had developed some kind of weapon that weaponized sharks. So they like some sort of like microwave gun that when they shot in the water, it made sharks turn into like ravenous monsters. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, me too. Someone needs to make a movie about like Nazi sharks. About weaponizing sharks. Yeah. They did that with Jurassic World. Although these weren't Nazis. That's true. Locusts. It's really yeah, efficient yeah, if you think about it. Right. Because you can point a laser at someone and then the raptor will kill them yeah. instead of shooting it's them. It's so much easier than just pointing a gun at them and shooting the gun. All right. Those theories were all pretty much dismissed by these scientists. These aren't dumb scientists. They're very smart. And what they thought was most likely, Nichols especially, Nichols was the one ichthyologist out of the three of them, so he was a fish specialist. He thought it was most likely that an upwelling of warm water from an El Nino event had made their local waters more appealing for large predatory sharks. That sounds like the Meg. Yeah, kind of, but also not like a big opening in the crust of the earth or whatever the Meg was. Yes. Oh, is that the... Man, I still... I gotta watch that movie. Yeah. That sounds great. There's these sharks. There's like megalodons, but they're stuck so deep in the ocean that the pressure they can't come up unless there's like oh, yeah, that's what it was. something that uh, breaks that seal for them. Yeah, that's smart. Like an El Nino type storm. Yeah. All right. So he believed that a large tiger or great white shark had followed the warm ocean currents north and was now exploring a new hunting ground where food was more scarce. So that shark was turning to non typical prey. So they're pretty smart. They are. No, I mean, these guys are like the guys for the time. And the other thing is, I wanted to make a note of this. As we're talking about them and kind of the things that they got wrong, you have to remember, collecting information back then was so much harder. And based on the amount of information they had and the data they had and their ability to collect information, 
they're they're pretty ahead of their time when it comes to making these kind of inferences about sharks. So they All couldn't right. get Einstein on the job. They probably could have. He is the top scientist. Yeah, that's back true. Then. Was he? Yeah, he was around. Yeah, he was. In, he was. I would have gotten stuff. him. Yeah, but that's just me. That is just you. All right. <laughs> so Doctor Lucas decides to send Doctor Nichols to Matawan so that he can gather up some eyewitness accounts, learn everything he can about these attacks. So the scientists aren't the only ones trying to figure out a solution at this point. The shark mania had made its way all the way to the Oval Office, and President Woodrow Wilson, who spent part of his summers on the Jersey Shore, was inundated with calls and letters and all these things from his cabinet members and his officials that wanted something to be done about this man-eater on the Jersey Shore. If you ever want a politician to address a problem, make it known that it's messing up his summer vacation plans, yeah, you know? Because he's going to want to solve it. will address that. it immediately. Yeah. He's facing re-election in the fall. He wants to seem like a strong and effective leader. He wants the economy to seem really strong. So he calls like a full war cabinet meeting to talk about these sharks, which is insane <laughs> that's when you great. think about like it. Like the Dr. Strange Love roundtable. Yeah. That's considering great. like World War One's going right. on. Right. Right. And it's like, all right. I need like all my like <laughs> army Top people generals. in here. Yeah. Like they're all like coming in like, okay, we got a plan finally for the Nazis. Yeah. Or, I guess they weren't Nazis yet. Yeah, the Germans. Germans. And then he's like, okay, so how are we going to kill this shark? Right. <laughs> well, it's really funny. Defcon one. I remember in my research, I found one headline that was from the UK that was like, oh, there's some sharks attacking people in the US. And then you have to think like there are other headlines was like, Another 300,000 troops die in oh. Verdun or something. You <laughs> yeah. Know? yeah. So they must have just kind of been like, oh, great. Glad the Americans are busy. So he, he finally decides that he wants to put some money toward this. So he approves $5,000 with the approval of Congress. And that's about $140,000 in today's money. And that's to go toward this hunt for the shark that's responsible for these, these killings. So again, not a ton of money, but pretty a pretty groundbreaking amount of money for a hunt like this. What kind of hunt is it? A shark hunt. Shark hunt. <laughs> you got to say that real carefully. Got him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. A shark hunt. Yeah. <laughs> anyway... So I really, I stumbled on a paper actually that I didn't really include at all, but I really want to read that is called do sharks attack or do shark attacks influence presidential elections, reassessing a prominent finding on voter competence. What? Need to read this paper. (laughs) It's amazing. I think they found that it didn't, but that there for a long time was this kind of consensus that if there's a lot of shark attacks in a year that the incumbent president will probably lose. So it's an article that. You didn't include, but I just included it. But we're yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you did. I didn't. I'm. What I'm saying is, I didn't really read the whole thing. All right. So the authors, just so you know, of that paper are Anthony Fowler and Andrew B. Hall. Okay, back to the story. So President Wilson, he actually he assigned all this money, and then he also assigned the Coast Guard, Navy, and National Marine Fisheries Service to come up with solutions. So he's taking this really seriously. The ideas for solutions were pretty um. Let's just say wide-ranging. They had a lot of different ideas. They took some public input, and an immediate solution was to put metal netting around beaches and areas where the shark might want to go. So this netting was actually shown to be a less-than-perfect option pretty quickly, though, because as you remember, I just said, they'd put that netting at the mouth of Matawan Creek, and the shark had bitten through it. Like a few days later, they checked it, and there was a big hole in it where the shark had gotten through. Shark-shaped hole. Yeah, it's a perfect (laughs) shark-shaped hole. So... 
it was installed in popular beaches, but people didn't necessarily believe in it as a fail-safe protection. So here are a few of the other ideas that people came up with. Create a dummy that looked like Lester Stilwell, the little boy that was killed, and stuff it with the strongest poison available. (laughs) 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 That one got my... It's just... I don't think the, the shark is attracted to, to Lester Stilwell himself. <laughs> it's like, oh, I thought I killed this little... Thing. Yeah. They like uh, go it's... to the parents' house and ask if they can borrow some of his clothes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would you please draw your son's face on this dummy? Uh-huh. <laughs> Put a dead horse... Oh, another one you'll like, Mike. Put a dead horse in the water and now shoot we're any sharks that come close. Make a dummy again and stuff it with dynamite. Attach meat like a ball of meat to a spring-loaded dynamite raft. So the idea behind this one, I kind of like this one. I don't like it because I don't want to kill any sharks, but it was an interesting idea. The shark would pull on the meat, and when it does, it triggered a thing that would then trigger the dynamite to explode. Oh, wow. Um, hmm. And then they also just said, we should just use all of our available submarines to hunt the shark. Hmm. Submarines are a new technology. People are really interested by submarines. So like, just use those to hunt the shark. <laughs> I'm confused about the doll full of diamond dynamite. Yeah, because then, like, what do they expect they would, to bite to like no make the dynamite the explode? Yeah. I should have given you more context. <laughs> they had in that idea, they had like a wire running out of it to a battery, and then a person sitting there that would like put the wire on the battery when the shark started attacking Man. the doll. Hmm. Uh, they also got some pitches from some very quinty kind of mariners, some p- people that very much seemed like Robert Shaw's character in Jaws. These guys said they had extensive experience killing sharks, that they would be able to kill the, the man-eater for the right price. Um, this included some professional fishermen from Florida, people from places where there were a lot more sharks. So one thing they did do was mobilize the Coast Guard and plenty of volunteers to start patrolling the waters around the Jersey Shore and to shoot or catch any sharks in the area. So hundreds of sharks were killed. Uh, Many of the fishermen that killed these sharks were convinced they'd caught the man-eater. So each time they would catch a big shark, they would bring it to shore, they'd cut it open in front of everyone, and they would look for this body of Lester Stilwell to spill out. Mm Because at this point, the general theory was that Lester was inside of a shark. Each time they were disappointed or maybe relieved. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think disappointed. I think people watching were probably like hoping they saw a body spill out, but also kind of happy that they didn't. I don't Mm. know. So this hunt is considered to be the largest scale organized hunt in history. Wow. Um, It's pretty crazy that even the president of the United States got caught up in this. So you guys know I'm picky about a few things. I can be a picky guy. Yeah. One thing you maybe didn't know that I'm picky about are bed sheets. I've had a really hard time finding bed sheets that I really like. I feel like I go to hotels that have really nice bed sheets and I'm always trying to replicate that. But I'm excited to tell you guys about Miracle Made. A big thing for me is having bed sheets that are temperature regulating. And Miracle Made has silver infused fabrics that make temperature regulating bed sheets thing of the present, not the future. They're not expensive. Silver? They have actual silver that are infused into the fabrics of these bed sheets. So if you wake up too hot or too cold, these are great sheets for you. These silver infused fabrics were inspired by NASA and they're thermoregulating. They're designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long. So I my thing that I absolutely hate is bed sheets that are too hot. 
and I do really like that these Miracle Made bed sheets stay pretty cool. For oh me. yeah, I run hot, so I need something to keep me yeah, cool. Dude, you gotta get silver in your bed sheets. Yeah, they're also a really cool thing about Miracle Made is they're self cleaning because of the silver infused threads. They stay clean a lot longer, and you may not know this, but bed sheets can harbor a lot of bacteria. Some people think that they even harbor more bacteria than our phones. So you really want to keep your bed sheets clean, and these sheets do a lot of the hard work for you. So go to trymiracle.com tooth to try Miracle Made Sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you're going to save over 40%. So Jeff, Whoa. pretty cheap if you That's order a- using our code. Are you sure you read that right? You can save over 40%. And if you use our promo tooth at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Oh, man. So Miracle is backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. I love that because sheets, again, are hard to find the ones you want. So upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash tooth and use the code tooth to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash tooth to treat yourself. So thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Tooth and Claws brought to you by AG1. I gave AG1 a try because I'm just lazy about being healthy, but I knew that I needed more nutrients in my life. And it's honestly the easiest way to get those into my body every single day by starting my morning off with AG1. What are harder ways that you've tried? The hardest way is to probably grow your own garden of Mm. the nutrients that they put in it. Hmm. Or like suppositories. Yeah, suppositories. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. It has adaptogens, which help with your stress level, I learned. It's my favorite And it helps you be able to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. It was started because the founder was having health gut problems and was spending hundreds of dollars a day trying to take care of these gut problems. So he made his own formula and costs less than your daily coffee does. Wow. Yeah. Would you put a suppository of just adaptogens in your butt? My it's head? the only place I've ever heard say that they're giving me adaptogens. So <laughs> if H E1 tells me to, yeah. I'll do the it. nice thing is you don't have to. They make a delicious <laughs> drink mix and you can just drink it. Wow. That's so, so good to know. <laughs> yeah. So it's perfect. If you want to take ownership of your health, Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash tooth. Tooth is all caps. That's drinkag1.com slash tooth. Check it out. So on the morning of July 14th, it's reported that this monster shark has been caught. We've got this big hunt going on everyone's looking for sharks no one's found lester stillwell's body yet and on the morning of the 14th it's reported that they finally caught this shark near the mouth of matawan creek and that lester's whole body was found in its stomach so everyone's confident that this man eater's caught and the hunt is pretty much called off kind of like in jaws with the tiger shark this was actually just a rumor lester's body had not actually been found in this shark but his body had just been found that morning by a matawan resident oh Harry Van Cleef was doing his customary morning walk when something caught his eye under a bridge in a shallow pocket of water. As he got closer to see what this mystery object might be, he realized in horror that it was the shredded corpse of a small naked boy. Lester Stillwood had been found, and the hunt for this shark was relaunched. Remember, he's naked because they all skinny dipped. Right. I would have taken the body and then just put it in a shark and got that reward money. 
Oh, yeah. Van Cleef could have done <laughs> sure. a better job there. And you would have yeah. saved a lot of sharks because they would have stopped mm, hunting. Yeah. Win-win. So his Lester Stillwell's body paints a really complete picture of what happened to him. He definitely got the worst out of all these victims. Even though four of them died, he's the one that got chewed on the most. The shark was able to feed on him a bit before it was interrupted by Stanley Fisher. So here's the description of what his body looked like when they found it. The boy's left ankle was chewed off. His left thigh was mangled from hip to knee. His left abdominal region was ruptured and the intestines herniated and torn open. Jeff, you know what herniated intestines feel like. Yeah. Pretty bad, I mean, yeah, when you bench 200 pounds. Yeah. So you pretty much feel, you felt this. (laughs) You know exactly what Lester went through. No, mine was worse because it happened three times. Yeah, and you you survived it. Yeah, you have to live with the pain. You're no wuss. Say it. All right. (laughs) (laughs) The right hip, right chest, left shoulder, as well as, as several fleshy areas of the body were all eaten away, and the flesh between his right hip and thigh were mangled. His face was untouched. Hmm. Oh, wow. So you do, I was just thinking about this. It's got to affect you for the rest of your life if you find this corpse. And it's just completely mangled, but then his face is like untouched. Yeah, it, it actually, the guy did report that he like, he never told anyone but the coroner about this. He wouldn't talk about it. Mm. So um, I should mention too, a thing that I forgot to bring up again in the last episode, we mentioned that Stanley Fisher had taken out a life insurance policy mm. right before he was killed by the shark. Yeah, I was wondering about they that. They did pay out. So they ended up paying out $7,500 to his family. It was a $10,000 policy, but I think you usually just get a percentage of that. Still suspicious. You think Stanley and the sharks planned it they out planned with each it. other? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe his family. Well, and his they family. were like, hey, we can drive you to the hospital. And he's like, nope. No, I'll <laughs> take me the on train. the train. Two hours. (laughs) His family ended up using a lot of the money to pay for a huge stained glass in the local Methodist church in his honor. Uh, That's what I would have done too. Which, you know, churches need more money, right? (laughs) Yeah, more stained glass. Uh, So, with with Lester's body, Mm -hmm. with like a great white eating a seal, does it eat a lot more of the seal? Not always. Sometimes they'll just eat the like blubber. Oh, really? seals. So sometimes you find seals that have huge ragged bites out of them, but the main parts of the seal are still there. They've just eaten all the fat off of the seal. So there's theories that the shark was feeding on Lester. There's also theories that these were just a series of exploratory bites. Hmm. And But he was such a small kid that like two or three exploratory bites by a shark was enough to kill him. I tend to believe that it was feeding on him because Stanley Fisher, when he swam down, saw the shark like rolling on top of the body. Yeah. Which to me is what a shark does when they're trying to rip off chunks of flesh. Gotcha. And for another reason that we're going to talk about soon. All right. Some other really important things happen on July 14th. Samuel Harding, a 35-year-old local from Newark, New Jersey, decided to go for a swim in the Shrewsbury River near Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. Not long into his swim, he came across a stronger-than-anticipated current, and the river tired him out. He's struggling to stay afloat in the water. He throws his hands up and starts yelling for help. And there's a few other really strong swimmers on the shore, and they start running out to help him. Then suddenly someone starts screaming, shark. And they yell that a shark had been attacking this guy. And these rescuers stop, and they don't go out to try and help him. And he drowns. Really? Yeah, he drowns. So 20 minutes later, they find his body. It's recovered from the river bottom without a scratch on it. So he wasn't attacked by a shark. But the shark paranoia had gotten so intense, and people had all heard that Stanley Fisher had been killed trying to rescue someone, that no one wanted to help 
with a shark attack. Oh, that's rough. So because of that, he died. So a lot of people do consider, or they think that Samuel Harding should be considered the sixth victim of the 1916 shark attacks. Big asterisks on that. No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm no, not counting that. Stat. Yeah. The bubble championship. Yeah. <laughs> Mickey, Mickey Mouse ring. <laughs> also on the morning of the 14th, two unlikely men decide to join the hundreds of fishermen to try their hand at catching the responsible shark. It's 40-year-old Michael Schleiser and his 28-year-old friend, and they launch a two-man wooden motorboat into the waters of Raritan Bay for some fishing. So they're just going fishing with a net, and they're thinking, if we get lucky, we're going to catch this shark while we're fishing. Schleicher's With a net? Yeah. Oh, like, but it's a big A big, net. like, yeah. trawling net. Schleicher's no stranger to trophy hunting. He's five foot six. He's wiry. He has this big handlebar mustache. Schleicher. Yeah, I name. think I'm saying Schleicher. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm saying it right. He's a taxidermist and a professional lion tamer for Barnum and Bailey. Oh, wow. Uh, he'd travel the world hunting big game. He'd, expert, he'd expertly prepared and presented a number of different trophies. He's a really good taxidermist. He has a pet bear, a pet wolf, multiple pet alligators, and a lot of other animals at home. I'd um, expect nothing less from a slicer. Yeah, that's if you didn't, a slicer for sure. <laughs> if you didn't know that that person had a mustache, Jeff, what odds would you give him for having a mustache or not? Because it would be like minus yeah, 100,000. Like six. Out of 100. Okay. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. <laughs> right. He's an interesting dude, and this is a guy who's really not afraid of much. So when he and his friend are dragging this net and the boat suddenly just slams to a stop, he immediately reacts. He can see a massive tail of a shark that's like slashing through the water, and he knows this net that they were dragging behind him has caught something really big. And the only weapon he had on board was a broken handle of an oar. So the shark is starting to fight so hard that there's a real danger that the boat's actually going to sink because this net's getting pulled underwater. Yeah. And they're like, we got to do something. So Schleicher starts to, or Schleicher starts to slam. Schleicen. This is a hard sentence to say. Okay. Schleicen. Yeah, he's slicing the shark. Uh, he starts slamming the oar handle on the head of the shark, trying to kill it. And when he does that, the shark actually turns around and launches half of its body up onto the stern of the boat. And it's snapping at him, trying to grab him. Whoa. And so he, and this is what he reported. I'm like, who knows? You know, this guy's traveled the world hunting animals, so he's probably a bit of he's an entertainer. He's like a zoo. Yeah, and he's a, a lion guy. tamer. Yeah. But this is what he said happened, and his friend. So he starts slamming the oar handle on the shark. He's hitting in the gills. He's hitting on the head. The shark's trying to bite. It's inching closer and closer to him. It, again, reminds me of Jaws at the end where the shark slams itself up on the boat. Um, and he keeps hitting it, and finally he hits it hard enough that the shark dies and slides back into the water and into the net. Whoa, he killed it. Wow. He kills it with the oar handle. Man. So they. this is about an eight-foot shark, but it's a big shark. It's like a very you know bulky eight-foot shark. They tie the prize to the boat, and they head for shore. They're not sure if they've captured the responsible shark, but they know that they've found a particularly aggressive shark. Yeah. So they get to the dock. They're really tired. And rattled. Schleicher tells the onlookers that the shark fought harder than any grizzly bear or lion that he'd ever killed. And he says he's lucky to survive the encounter. And he even has scrape marks on his knuckles from the sandpaper skin of the shark. But who he knows? He punched it. Uh, I think it was from like hitting it with the oar a few times. His knuckles hit the uh. shark too. But he also maybe because he is such a storyteller and showman, he might have like rubbed his knuckles on the shark. That's who what knows? I would have done. Yeah. <laughs> People are really excited to see this shark. 
A lot of the sharks that have been caught to this point are like sandbar sharks or blue sharks or sand tiger sharks, and they're not sharks that look particularly menacing to a person. Like they still have the teeth and everything, you know, that sharks always look a little menacing, but they're not necessarily like a shark that you would pull out of the water and think that's it's a like shark that could kill a person. A shark that you're like, that could have taken my finger off. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, they're obviously capable of more, but it's not, they didn't look like man eaters to these sure. people. But this shark was different. It's eight feet long, dark gray on top, bright white on the bottom. But the most impressive thing about it was its mouth. It had a large mouth that looked capable of swallowing a person whole, and it was lined with rows of large, triangular, serrated teeth. That's nothing. That's nothing is what Jeff says. <laughs> All right. So Schleiser gets a photo with Compared the shark. Compared to what? Yeah. To yours? The war? Oh, the war. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Got to keep things in perspective. He, he is right there. The war definitely had bigger teeth. Okay. So Schleiser gets a photo with the shark. It's the only existing photo of it to date. And then to the dismay of all these onlookers, he refuses to cut the shark open in front of everyone. He's going to take it home to his house. He's going to properly taxidermy the shark. So once at home and in his taxidermy studio, he decides to empty out the shark's stomach. And in the dim light of his basement, he examines what he found. Inside is 15 pounds of material that seemed to be mostly composed of human flesh, human skin, and human bone. Wow. So he's confident that these remains are human, but he personally knew Frederick Lucas, that kind of main naturalist that works at the Natural History Museum, and he figures that a scientist is going to be able to say without a doubt whether or not these remains are human. So he puts everything in a bucket and just ships it to the Natural History Museum. <laughs> Ooh. So you got to like think that's a pretty big surprise for Frederick Lucas. You just get like or a like delivery. the person who ships things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, was it just like a bucket with a label on it? I mean, I don't it? think like they had... Label? Ice wasn't readily available back then. Uh, I don't know. Well, maybe it was. I don't know. I bet this was gross. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I would bet anything that it was gross. So Frederick Lucas must have been pretty surprised opening this. But when he did, he immediately shared the conclusion that Schleiser had come to, that these remains were indeed human. He had several other scientists look at the bones, including specialists in human anatomy, human bones. They all concluded that without a doubt, these remains were human, and they could have been from Lester Stilwell, Stanley Fisher, or even Charles Bruder. So the news of this catch went out, and the local paper where Schleiser lived, the home news, ran the story the next day. And here's their headline. Harlem man in tiny boat kills a seven and a half foot man-eating shark. Like a tale from the Stone Age, the story began, where man went forth single-handed, armed with nothing but a club, to slay ferocious beasts. It's a story of two uptown men, one of whom, with the broken handle of an oar, held off a monster man-eating shark after a terrific battle and finally killed it. It's a pretty good headline to have written about yourself. Yeah, like no, he's definitely. Great. I mean, it's impressive he killed it that way. It is. He ended up taking the mounted shark on tour, and he would tell the story of his oh. battle with the giant fish and this oar wherever he was able to draw, draw a crowd. And at one of these retellings, Dr. Lucas, Dr. Nichols, and Dr. Murphy were in attendance. So he wasn't as scarred as that guy who found Lester's body. 
uh, Stanley Fisher. Oh, oh no, the other guy. Yeah, yeah they would Cleef. never talk about. No, even I don't. The body. I think maybe had a face come out of the shark, it would have been a little <laughs> he's, bit scary. He's going the opposite direction. Yeah, of just, he's like, telling a story. Let's to make everyone. some money yeah. off of this thing. That's true. Yeah, that would have been pretty morbid if the guy that found Lester was like, "I need to make some money off this corpse <laughs> and taxidermied it." Mount yeah. Lester's face. Yeah, <laughs> on a dummy full that? of poison. Oh, the uh, sharks would love that thing. <laughs> So these doctors are at one of these kind of retellings of the story, and they're there for a very specific reason. They've had these theories of what type of shark might be responsible. And Dr. Nichols, again, who's the fish specialist, he is there to properly identify the shark. So they go, and as soon as um, Schleiser's done telling his story, they go look at the shark. And as soon as they see it, they know what it was. So as soon as Nichols sees it, he says, this was a great white or as they often called it back then, a man-eater shark. And it was almost certainly the shark that was responsible for the attacks that had defined the previous 12 days of terror. It was a female shark, and the hunt was called off. And after this, no more attacks were reported for the rest of the Why summer. Why would they call it a man-eater shark if they didn't think sharks ate people back Because then? there were still rumors that this was a shark that was mm. capable of eating men. Um, the hunt was called off. No more attacks were reported that summer. I put my bird feeder in the house, and a bird just hit, like bumped flew the window, the window trying to get gently. It. it flew off. It's fine. Donde está la biblioteca? No sé. <laughs> well, that means how do you like the podcast so far? <laughs> Does it? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, le gust le está gustando mi podcast means that. But it's great knowing two languages. And with Babbel, you can learn a second language. The best time in your life to learn a second language peaks when you're six years old. But Babbel's the next best thing you can do. Best time to learn it's now, right? Best time yeah. to learn it's now. We actually all three speak a different language. Yeah. And I think it's been pretty useful for all three of us to be able to have that second language. And we all learned it from living in the country. But that's not an option for everyone. And... If that's not your option, you do need to be hearing it consistently. You can't just read. You have to hear the language. And that's why Babel's so huge, is that you hear it, you repeat it, and that gets ingrained in your brain. Yeah, it's much more so than just those little, like, tests. It's like a full-on course where you're going to learn the language. Exactly. One in five Americans have learned a new language on the bucket list. So check it off with Babel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners to get you started right now. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash tooth, all caps. Get 55% off babbel.com slash tooth. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash tooth. Tooth is all caps. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right. And if you learn a new language on Babbel, let us know. Yeah. Be fun to hear that in the you language guys. you learn. Right? It in. Yeah. Mike a message in French, Wes a message in Portuguese, or me a message in Spanish. And then you have to learn more languages to tr to translate our messages. I think I might need Babel for English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in the wake of all the panic, all the terror, all the tragedy, there's a big question left unanswered. Why did all this happen? So we talked about this a bit in part one and part two, that the general consensus up to this point was that sharks look scary. They seem to have the potential to harm humans, but we thought of them as relatively harmless creatures and pretty low on the list of marine creatures even to be worried about. 
people were more worried about turtles orcas. and orcas and other animals up to this point. Yeah. But the orcas tw- make sense. Yeah. Turtles, not so much. Turtles, not. The 12 days of terror really changed all of that. Sharks were now widely feared. Scientists around the country had to rethink the way that they saw sharks. But even by today's standards and understanding, the spate of attacks seems pretty remarkable, especially considering the facts that there was some pretty decent evidence that a single shark may have been responsible for all of the attacks. So we're going to dig into that a bit now, and I think I want to start by talking about the species of shark that might have been responsible for all of the attacks. I thought you already told us that. Well, I've been talking about one species, and I'll tell you why but we're going to get into some alternative theories. Hmm. So when I first heard about these stories, when I first started doing the research even, this this was another one of those episodes that I really like, or series of episodes, because my mindset changed as I researched Which more. Which one as didn't I you more. like? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like all of our episodes, but there's some that I like more than others, and I tend to really like the ones where I feel like I I was able to learn a lot as I was doing it. And this is one of them, because when I first really heard about these stories and when I kind of did my initial research where I just did a brief overview into the story, I thought, oh, this was definitely different sharks. In my mind, it was like the attacks on the Charleses, the two men in, on the Jersey yeah, the Shore. Brothers. The Chucks. Yeah, they weren't brothers. but They had the same name. N- their first name. Twins. We names. talked about this, Jeff. <laughs> we don't need to go into this again. I'm confused. Uh, <laughs> they both seemed like great white attacks to me. Both involved an open ocean shark, an explosive rushing attack, and a devastating bite. So those are all things that really line up with a great white shark bite. Charles Van Sant did have the shark follow him back into shore, and it displayed some really, like, a lot of tenacity, which, to be honest, does seem kind of bull sharky to me, but it's not outside Mm. of the realm of possibility for a great white. They can do that, too. In fact, there's a mini story in 12 Days of Terror that I wanted to read to you guys that really made me think that this isn't necessarily unheard of great white shark behavior. So in New South Wales, Australia in 1966, there's a 13-year-old boy named Raymond Short, and he's treading water just outside of the surf when a shark shoots up out of the murky water beneath him and grabs him by both legs. He starts screaming and punching at the shark as hard as he could, but it wouldn't let him go. Some lifeguards swim out to him and they grab him, but in this like murky, churning, he's right in the surf, so they couldn't really see in the water, and they didn't realize that the shark is still clamped down on his legs when they grab him. So they didn't really even believe him, they just thought maybe he was drowning or something, and then one of them reaches into the water and it can feel the shark's head on his legs. Oh man. So they realize like, okay, he's being attacked by a shark actively, and they start dragging him and the shark up onto the beach, yeah. And they managed to drag both of them all the way up onto the beach. Wow. wow. Yeah. And the shark still refuses to let go of this kid. And a surfer runs over and starts slamming his surfboard down on top of the shark's head. Yeah. And finally, it lets go. He essentially lost all of the muscle and flesh from his right calf. And his tibia bone was even full of bite marks from the shark. And it was identified to be an eight-foot female great white shark. So this was... Very similar to the attack on Charles Van Sant. Because if you'll remember, his friend Alex, who was the lifeguard, ran out, grabbed him in the water, was pulling him to shore, and the shark came back in and attacked him repeatedly. Yeah. And they pulled it up onto what they thought was the sand, too. So it's not unheard of for great whites, is the point I'm trying to make here. But to me, both Van Sant and Bruder, their attacks feel like a great white shark bite. Plus the description of a bicolored shark with a very dark dorsal side 
and a really light ventral side fits the description. That fits a great white shark. But it's not too far off for bull sharks either. They are dark on top and light on the bottom. Yeah. Their bites also seem like great white bites to me. They're large, ragged bites, the high amount of tissue loss, and even bone loss. Um, once again, though, none of them have bites that couldn't have been caused by a bull shark or even a tiger shark. There's not a single bite here that's like the radius is so big that it would have to be a great white or they didn't like pull a tooth out like they do in Jaws on the boat. There's nothing here that just screams this was definitely a great white shark. Hmm. And I will say, you know, I've, I've been talking about both of these books a lot. And I've kind of preferred Capuzzo's book, Close to Shore, when it comes to the narrative of the of the stories like revolving around the attacks. I think Fernicola's book, 12 Days of Terror, is much better when it gets into this part of the story. Talking about, you know, which shark might be responsible, talking about the actual anatomy of the bites. He really dives into all of that. So these are both great books. I do recommend both of them a lot. Um, and there's a lot here that I'm not covering. Like there's a whole, the whole second half of 12 Days of Terror is just about this. All right. So we haven't ruled out either shark still. And I've been saying bull shark a lot. And there's a reason for that. Can you guys think of the one piece of evidence that points possibly this being a bull shark instead of a great white shark? That it swam up the river? That it swam up the oh, river. Man, Good Jeff. job, Jeff. You're a, <laughs> you could be a shark biologist. Uh, yeah, that's all I it takes. I kind of consider myself an <laughs> yeah. expert. At I'm starting to. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so it's this Matawan Creek attacks. Great whites don't often enter estuaries or fresh water. And when they do, it's often by mistake and they tend to just want to get out. It would appear that this shark, though, was looking for food in Matawan Creek, which is much more likely to be bull shark behavior. Um, when I first read about the creek, I was convinced that it was probably great whites that had attacked the men on the Jersey Shore, and then likely a bull shark that had attacked these people on the creek. Many fishermen and scientists that year reported higher than average counts of sharks all down the coast, uh, maybe from this El Nino event that Dr. Nichols was talking about. So it's not crazy to think that multiple sharks had decided to bite people this year, that it could have just been like, there was a ton of sharks in New Jersey so a couple people happened to get attacked by a great white and a couple people happened to get attacked by a bull shark. That's not outside of the realm of possibility. Bull sharks are on record biting people in freshwater. They commonly leave the ocean for brackish areas. They can even swim hundreds of miles upriver. Like they've been found wow. like 500 miles up the Mississippi River, like 1,000 miles up the Amazon River. They can go really, really far upriver. Um, so that's really good evidence for a bull shark. But... The shark caught by Schleiser in Raritan Bay was not far from Matawan, and it really makes me think that it was probably a great white yeah. that attacked these guys. A single great white for all God, of them. I'm not sure about that. We'll get okay. more into that. Sure. It's pretty hard, though, to explain away that they found 15 pounds of human flesh and bone in that shark, and that a lot of that material appeared to come from a young boy, so Lester Stillwell. Eight feet is a little small for a great white to be attacking people. Like, generally, juvenile gray whites don't attack people. But the one that we just talked about in Australia was eight feet long, the one that attacked that kid surfing. So yeah. it's not unheard of. Also, George Burris, he's a shark scientist. He's the former director of the International Shark Attack File, which I use often for shark stories. He investigated these attacks and even took salinity measurements where the attacks took place on Matawan Creek. And he found that the salinity of the water there isn't that different from the ocean. 
So it's not unlikely that a great white could make it up there. I mean, it's unlikely, but it's not impossible. So especially a juvenile that's kind of wandering around and still hasn't totally figured out how to be a shark yet. Yeah. So Burris and a lot of other shark biologists have talked about this series of attacks. A lot of them tend to believe that it was a great white. There are definitely a percentage of shark scientists and researchers that think that a bull shark could have been involved or that it could have been multiple species. Both Fernicola and Capuzzo, the authors of these books, think that it was a great white. They are kind of now the de facto experts on this because they both put so much time into researching it. I just think it's kind of become a fun debate for shark scientists. It's long enough ago that it's not like a really heated thing, it seems, but there is still a lot of debate over which species were responsible. Yeah. I generally think they like really enjoy talking about it. But I do tend to agree that it was probably a great white. Do you guys have any input after hearing about it? What I do mean, you think? Just like you were saying, it seems kind of like a slam dunk to me that it was a great white since they found like young that's boy remains in it. Yeah. And like I know that's not open closed case kind of evidence, but it seems like the best piece of it's evidence. Pretty compelling that, evidence. That exists. Yeah. Yeah. And especially just because at this point everyone is terrified about sharks. So any attack is going to get reported. And so really the only attacks that had happened were the ones that we're talking about. So it's not like they just happened to find a shark that had killed someone else that didn't get reported. It would have gotten reported. So yeah. I'll go great white. Okay. We're all in agreement. Whale well, shark? Uh, you know, you think gonna, you're ruling that not out? Not a whale shark. I'll turtle? Bold Sea shark. turtle? Bull shark? Bold. Yeah. Do you say bold shark or bull, bull. shark? Okay. <laughs> great whites just don't go up rivers. They, yeah, but this is like a tidal creek. That's it's right. a salty one. Yeah. Salty river. I don't, how would it turn around? Uh, it was 30 feet wide. <laughs> it could turn around. <laughs> That's a good question. We'll yeah. table that maybe in part four. We'll talk more. All right. Well, if you agree with me and Mike and George Burris and these authors and some of the other people out there that this was probably the work of a great white shark or multiple great white sharks, it's worth looking at a different theory, which is the rogue shark theory. So the idea behind a rogue shark theory is that a single shark will switch its feeding habits toward humans, and that it'll continue to feed on humans until, for whatever reason, it switches to another prey or until it's killed. This is behavior we sometimes see in big cats. The lions of Savo are a really good example of this. Um, There's circumstances that lead that particular animal or animals to decide to start killing and feeding on humans. For whatever reason that happens in cats, there isn't really, up to this point, no one's really documented this in sharks. But this was a theory that was especially interesting to an early shark researcher named Dr. Sir Victor Coppelson, a surgeon, <laughs> a surgeon in Australia that had been knighted by the queen. Dr. Sir. Dr. Sir. I was going to ask, if you guys are a doctor and a knight, which one are you putting first? Doctor Sir, Sir Doctor, I think is yeah. what I'd do. Sir Doctor. Yeah. Well, what's like, the Doctor Sir sounds better to It me. sounds funny to me. Doctor also, like, Sir. There's not many knights out there, and there's a lot of doctors. Yeah. So I'm going Sir Doctor. There's a lot of knights. I don't think so. I feel like every celebrity's like knighted now. I don't <laughs> I guess. Wasn't that juvenile counselor warden guy in holes? His name was Mr. Sir, wasn't it? Was Mr. it? Mr. Sir? All right, no, you guys remember. remember that movie? Yeah, I like Holes. Yeah. It's a great movie. Shia LaBeouf, your guy? He, that's Jeff's guy. Oh, Jeff's guy. Yeah. <laughs> Kanye stole his hat. So this guy, Coppelson, he is a surgeon, but he's also kind of a, a shark researcher. Back then, you could diversify, I guess. 
He had treated shark bite, vi- shark bite victims, and he's really fascinated with this idea of a rogue shark. So he looks into some incidents at Koji Beach in Australia in 1922, where over a period of three years, two people were killed and two people lost limbs at the beach from shark attacks. The attacks seemed to end when a single great white shark was captured in the area. He also believed that rogue sharks might be attacking people in really patterned ways and that anniversary attacks were a thing. So like a shark would attack a person again on the year anniversary of when it first did. And this is an excerpt from the book Close to Shore. Coppelson observed rogue sharks in Australia often took human victims in the same area near the one-year anniversary of an earlier killing. What Coppelson considered the most spine-chilling attack known in Sydney waters was part of an anniversary pattern. Zeta Stedman, 28, was swimming with friends near Bantry Bay in January 1942, standing in waist-deep water when a friend named Burns warned her not to go too far. Zeta had just turned to go back when suddenly shrieked and a huge shark was clearly visible to her friends, mauling the young woman. Burns grabbed an oar from their rowboat and began smashing at the attacker, but to no avail. Burns then rammed the shark, which shrugged off the boat and kept attacking. The shark struck Stedman with such ferocity that it was throwing itself into the air and began to draw its prey into deeper water. In desperation, Burns pulled Zeta Stedman away from the shark by grabbing her long, dark hair. Stedman had been bitten in two. Oh, man. Later no than a year way. later, while standing in the same waters, 15-year-old Denise Birch was torn apart by the same shark that killed Zeta Stedman, Coppelson believed. So, pretty crazy to grab someone, like, to save them and their body, just, like, half their body floats out. Yeah. yeah. I don't like that. I wouldn't want that to happen to no, me. No. On either that. side of the equation. Yeah. So this guy, Coppelson, he's convinced that not only are there rogue sharks, but they sometimes attack on the anniversary. He combs through shark attack records from around the globe. He finds what he thought to be many cases of rogue shark attacks, and he compiles these results and publishes them in a medical journal of Australia. And for a long time, this theory is somewhat accepted. People say, yeah, sure, rogue sharks, why not? Modern shark biologists have debunked this theory. In the International Shark Attack Database, there are only two or three cases where an individual shark is thought to be responsible for multiple attacks, including the 1916 attacks, And only one of these is really backed up by reasonable proof. In that case, the attacks happened in a matter of five minutes and were considered provoked attacks, Um, which I think is these ones in Egypt I'm about to talk about. So one big bias to the data in Coppelson's research that I noticed is that the spate of attacks he investigated, it's often following people that are starting to use the ocean for some new purpose. So for example, these attacks in 22, where there was a number in that Koji Bay, they happen right after surfing became popular in the area. Mm-hmm. So suddenly there's lots like of people deep, right? right, recreating in a new way. They look kind of like a prey item for sharks. And sharks are just like investigating a lot of new people in the water. There's also like a lot of other confounding cases and facts that might be happening with these things. A, a good example are these 2010 shark attacks in Egypt. Four people were attacked by oceanic white tip sharks. Um, People thought this might be another example of a rogue shark, but then right after it came out that the dive guides had been feeding oceanic white tips, all of the people that were attacked were bitten right on their hip, and that's exactly the same spot where the guides had been keeping the fish that they had been feeding the sharks. Uh, So the sharks had worked out that's where the fish are, and that's exactly where they bit these four people. So there's these confounding factors in all of these. Or maybe the sharks knew that that's what we would figure out. 
Yeah. So then they so were like, like, we can bite these people's mm, hips. Thinking and one's a perfect uh, crime. They'll blame the people for keeping their fish there. Perfect crime. Sharks yeah. are smart. So I have to believe that there's a lot of extra human and environmental factors that lead to these multiple attacks. Things like warm ocean currents, overfishing, a dead whale. There could be so many things that he didn't look into that lead to multiple people being attacked over a, a period of time. And then another thing I thought about is this idea, because I was kind of believing it for a second when I was reading about it. So I was like, well, if they kill a shark and then suddenly they stop. But the other thing is a lot of times they launch these massive hunts and I think the shark attacks would have stopped anyway, but then they managed to kill a shark that they're like, oh, this was it. But because they're killing so many sharks already, no one else is getting attacked regardless. Mm, that makes sense. Sure. So aside from being scientifically unsound, a big problem behind this rogue shark theory is that if you put that theory out there, people lose their minds. Like people, mm. this idea of a rogue shark attacking like Jaws is just too much for people to deal with. So in New Jersey, hundreds if not thousands of sharks were killed as a result of the attacks. I mean, there's a full-on war cabinet hearing Man. for these shark attacks. In South Africa, 100-pound depth charges were dropped along the coast as a result of spade attacks blamed on a rogue shark. In Australia, they do huge shark culls um, when someone's attacked that have resulted in the death of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of sharks and other marine life. It's just really destructive for sharks whenever this idea gets out in the public. And Jaws, even though it's a great movie, it definitely resulted in a whole new perception of sharks as well. So after Jaws came out, a lot of people kind of felt like, we just need to get rid of sharks. We don't want sharks in the ocean. I'd be happier if there weren't sharks in the ocean, is what a lot of people felt. So it is really, I mean, that's just like a really unfortunate thing. So I did read this paper. It's called Science Policy in the Public Discourse of Shark Attack, in quotation marks, A Proposal for Reclassifying Human-Shark Interactions by Christopher Neff and Robert Huter. And the authors of this paper argue that the term attack is criminally overused when it comes to shark interactions, and that attacks on humans should be reclassified into shark encounters, shark bites, and fatal shark bites. What do you guys think about that? Yeah. It's good. You like it? Yeah, because not all of them are, they're not always trying to hurt us. Yeah. They just do hurt us. A lot of time it is just a bite. When Wes bites me, I don't say Wes attacked me. True. I say Wes huh. bit Wes. me. I'll fight yeah, no, when you I, wrestle. Do I used you? To fight a lot. I'll say this like I do agree with it. And I, we do use the term attack pretty often in this podcast. We've talked about that in other episodes. It is just kind of the term that's used colloquially colloquially that is what people say to refer to these things. It's really hard to do an episode about the 1916 shark bites. You know, it like you do tend to use the word attack. But I do agree with these authors that not all of these attacks are attacks, especially with sharks, where we've talked about this at length in other episodes. This isn't an animal that can come up to you and like grab you and feel you with its hands and be like, meh, I don't think I want to eat this. The only thing they have to investigate outside of all their sensory organs is their mouth. They can't use their fins. They can't use anything else, really. Do they it's have tongues? Mouth. Could they just like lick us? And maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Um, huh. they, I mean, they have like really sophisticated sense of smell, all of that. And that's why we don't get attacked a lot more often by these guys is they almost always figure out beforehand that we're not a prey animal. But then every once in a while, the shark's like, man, eh, I'm going to bite this and see if it is. And that's why I think shark bites is a really good term for it. It'd be interesting if 
shark bites. We did a study on the sharks that bit us, and they all just had stuffy noses that day. Yeah, couldn't like smell they just us. Couldn't right smell. They all just had COVID, common cold. Yeah, I, COVID. I will say I do think there are shark attacks out there still. Like I would say, this guy that just died in Egypt that we talked about, I would say that was a shark attack. That shark wanted to eat him. It attacked him. But I do think there are also shark bites. So I don't necessarily think shark attack is always the wrong term, but I do think it's vastly yeah. overused. Like if we were wrestling and you bit me so many times <laughs> that I had to go to the hospital or that's died, attack. I'd say that was an attack. A Wes attack? Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, that's never happened yet. How many, how many bites would it take to equal a shark bite from a person? A lot of bites, I think. Well, it depends on the shark. If it was just like a little... Like just go full Dahmer on him. Yeah, a lot of bites. <laughs> All right. So to be honest, though, even though we've kind of disproven this rogue shark theory, I do think there's some compelling evidence that in this case it was a single shark. I do kind of think that it might just be this incredibly rare case of a shark just deciding that it's going to feed on humans for whatever reason. It's really hard to know why it happened so long ago that we don't have any real evidence to, to talk about. It's probably, if that is the case, if this was one shark, which who knows if it was, if it is the case, it's probably one of the most rare things we've talked about on the podcast. Like one of the most lightning strike, this never happens kind of things. And because that's so rare and so unbelievable, people are still talking about this series of incidents till today, including yeah, us. Right. You know, it's yeah. so fascinating because it really stands out from all the other records. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. <laughs> Sounds kind of fun, right? Or to hell. They probably threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills. If that sounds like your current phone plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans are just $15 a month with unlimited talk, text, and data. 15 bucks. That's cheap. That's great. Yeah. I first signed up to Mint maybe five years ago, actually. And I was like thinking about investing stuff. And I just found Mint saved me like $50 every month that I could allocate to different investments. Do you get investments, like, like a, data warnings all the time? And no, stuff, I don't. Though? Unlimited talk, text, and data. $15. Oh, that's great. So you can say goodbye to your big wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. This isn't some, like, twerpy little 5G network. It's this is the a nation's huge, largest. Huge one. Like, look outside. It's the, you can blue, see it. the blue whale of networks. Yeah, right. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring along your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just $15 a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com tooth. That's mintmobile.com slash tooth. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash tooth. tooth. All right. Well, guys, that's the end of part three. Uh. Yeah, that's, that's the story. I do think these are incredibly interesting stories. If you guys are interested out there in learning more about them, again, those books are 12 Days of Terror by Richard G. Fernicola. Dr. Richard G. Fernicola, and Close to Shore by Michael Capuzzo. Recommend them both. They both are really fun reads. Some great pictures in 12 Days of Terror. So that's it. Any questions about the uh, New Jersey 1916 shark attacks, shark bites? Um, no. All right. So we're going to get into our categories then. 
our favorite pop culture set in New Jersey. I mean, I gotta shout out the problem. From... The problem, Mike. The problem, whatever his name is. <laughs> Jersey Shore. Shoot. The situation. situation. Yeah. I'll go with the Eli Manning New York Giants. Okay. Just some really fun Super Bowl games. And people are going to say they're New York, but they play in New Jersey. So I'll go with those guys. Mike, you love Eli. Manning. I hate oh, Eli. <laughs> you, you drive over to my house right now so I can beat you up. He spurned the Chargers. It was embarrassing. Long-time listener. We just lost him. Thanks to Mike. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with the real low-hanging fruit for me, uh, The Sopranos. Sopranos, I think, was the first prestige TV that I watched, like real prestige TV. And I just remember at the end of it being like, that was the best thing I've ever watched in my life. And for a long time, it was my favorite show. And anytime I met someone from New Jersey, all I wanted to talk about was The Sopranos. <laughs> so, Spoiler. Sopranos. Skip ahead if you haven't watched it. But so what did you think of the ending? I love the ending. I think it's a perfect ending. It's so good. Yeah. I think it's kind of obvious, too, that he died. Yeah. I think at the time, people couldn't wrap their heads heads around how unfinished it felt. But over time, as I've let it marinate, I just think it feels better I had to rewind rewind three times because I was like, oh, I must not have paid attention because yeah, I, yeah. I got distracted or something. Would, what did you, I miss? If you think about it, if it showed the next 10 seconds of that, it would ruin it. Like, it's a perfect ending. Yeah. yeah. So, what's your answer, Mike? Mine is a little out of left field. Oh, big surprise. Is it left field or right field when it's unexpected? Left field, left right? Field. Yeah. I think way. either field, yeah. Because right field's where you stick your ball player that's not great. That's where I play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of those fields is where this opinion's coming out of. You guys ever seen the movie IQ with Tim Robbins and Walter Matthau? No, I've heard of it. It's like a rom-com with uh, between Tim Robbins and Meg Ryan, and they're in Princeton, New Jersey, and uh, (laughs) Einstein. It's really funny. It's like kind of just a cute rom-com, but Einstein plays the Cupid character because Meg Ryan is his daughter. I remember like trailers for that. It's just like kind of a nice little yeah feel good movie. That is, and I like Tim Robbins a lot. Out of field. Hmm. And Walter Matthau. And maybe I haven't even heard of it. They're all great. Yeah. I'll great. switch mine to this breakfast sandwich I had in New Jersey. That's pop culture? That yeah. counts. <laughs> sure. Yeah. What was <laughs> on it? Uh, it's like bacon. and It's just simple, but it was so good. Some American cheese, some bacon, some egg. Yeah. And then like really good bread. Kind of like that sandwich at the beginning of that Harley Quinn movie. Oh, that looked good. <sighs> it looks so good. All right. We're doing where Mike and Jeff paying attention. And guess what? This can be answers from all three episodes. All wow. Right. What do you guys so want to bet? We're seeing Jurassic Park tomorrow. How about in theaters? It's back in theaters. How about the loser? Can't watch it through the 3D glasses. <laughs> sure. No. Loser <laughs> buys the winner's ticket. How about okay. when the, guy, the lawyer gets eaten in half? Uh-huh. The loser has to yell out. No. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Man, he really had to go. Nope, I'm not bothering the other theater goers. All right, those are my least favorite people in the world. Loser, Let's just do a billion. Loser dollars. buys the winner's ticket plus a billion dollars. Okay, the loser has to yeah. That had to hurt. <laughs> That's gonna leave a mark. <laughs> Actually, I got a better. <laughs> loser buys popcorn for all three of us. Sure. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. All right. All right. And if I lose, I'll yell out, that's going to leave a mark. Sure. <laughs> I love that. All right. I'm going to throw you out of the theater. Who wants to go first? Uh, let's have Jeff go. I went first last okay. time. Which one has more names? I can't remember. Uh, I don't Jeff, want any names. Question one. 
How many people were killed by sharks in the 1916 attacks on the Jersey Shore? Four. Correct. One point, Jeff. Mike, what are the two main species that were implicated in this series of attacks? Humans? No, of sharks. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Great white shark? Tiger shark. Incorrect. Jeff? What what are the two main species of sharks? What are the two main species of sharks that were implicated in these attacks? Great white shark and bull shark. Correct. Yeah. Jeff. That was an easy one. Yeah. You should have gotten that one, Mike. That was bad. Two to zero. Jeff, who was president in 1916? Wilford Woodruff. No, it's a Mormon prophet. (laughs) (laughs) It's Woodrow Wilson. (laughs) Correct, Mike. (laughs) Woodrow Wilson. Oh, Jeff's old life coming back into view. Uh, Jeff, what year would the U.S. enter World War I? 1917. Correct. You're lucky you've seen that movie. <laughs> oh, wait. Shoot, that wasn't your question. That was Mike's question because he stole your question. Whatever. I mean, that's we're just, staggering them just out. Just keep asking questions. Okay. I'm just, we're going to get rid of that one. So it's still 2-1, Jeff. Well, you just, you just, you no can one just gets ask it. me two in a row. Why? Okay, I'll ask Mike both these questions. Oh, I see. And then I get switched to the That was supposed to be Mike's question. Did you know the answer? Yeah. Did you really? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, just give the point to Mike. All right, it's 2-2 then. Okay. Okay, it's 2-2. We're giving that point to Mike. Well, I heard Wes said last night, one year later. I've heard Wes say it a couple times, one year after these attacks. If you're confident, you would have got it. Yeah, that's what I was going to guess. Jeff, how many pounds of human material was found in the shark caught by Schleiser? 15. Correct. (sighs) 3-2. Mike. What did Stanley Fisher's family spend a lot of the life insurance money on? Big old stained glass window for the church. Correct. Three, Methodist three. church. Yeah, good Ooh, job, Jeff. Give him an extra point. Nah, two. Jeff, name <laughs> the titles of the two books that I primarily use for these episodes. Both of them? Yep. Extra point. These one. get harder as they go on. Extra point if you can name an author. Here's the thing. I know one. I don't know both, so I'm not going to say either. You need to name because both. Mike oh, because you don't steal. want Mike to get it. Yeah. I only know one. Uh, it's close to shore. Oh, I know the other one. Oh, my God. So can I steal? No, can either of you name an author? <laughs> Cam- Capuzzo. Ferticoli. Uh, no. Ferticoli. 12 Fernicola. Days of Fernicola. Okay. is one. All right. 12 Days of Terror by Fernicola, Close to Shore by Capuzzo. Neither of you are getting points. Give there. us both a point. That's fair. Uh, Mike, sure, you both get a point. Four to four. <laughs> Mike, give me the first name of three of the people who were killed by sharks in 1916. Two Charleses. Okay. Lester. Okay. Good job. Stanley. Four or five. Uh, good. You got them all. Extra point, baby. No. Ten. Jeff, name two locations where the attacks happened. You asked us this one already. I know. But why, there's a new so location in there fair. now. Um, I, I can't Mike, think can of you one. steal? Matawan Creek. Okay. Crystal Spring. No. Beach Haven. Spring Lake, Spring Lake, Matawan Creek. The okay. Crystal Spring. Where are they going? Still 5-4, Mike. Mike, what was the name of the boy who lived? Not Harry Ooh, Potter. Tight Harry Potter. <laughs> I was going to say Harry Potter. I forget his name. He's Jeff, the New York guy. Can you steal I it? I don't know names. Joseph Dunn. No, okay, geez. bonus for all the marbles. <laughs> Why do we even bother? Yeah. <laughs> just wait for Actually, the Actually, you know what? I'm just going to say this is for a point, so there'll be a tie if Jeff gets it. If not, Mike wins. Whose is question it? is it? It's bonus, so it's whoever answers it answers it first. So we tap the table. Okay. Whoever taps the table first. Bonus. Who was Samuel Harding? He's the one that found Lester's body. Incorrect. No, that was Van Cleef. 
Yes. Samuel Harding. He had he was doing something with bullshit. Often sharks. considered to be the sixth victim of the nineteen. Oh, he drowned and there was no shark. He drowned. Dang it. Jeff Yo is popcorn. Okay. All right. And I gotta yell out. That's good. Leave the mark. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Okay, our next category. Something that's overrated. I'll start. I think it's overrated when people call croissant croissants. <laughs> <laughs> overrated such a funny word to use for that. Yeah, well it is. I feel like it's just like you know, call them that if you're in France. Over here, these, in these parts, we call them croissants. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's an interesting flex to just go, croissant. Croissant. <laughs> I know. There's yeah. so many words that we don't pronounce like the way that they're supposed to be pronounced, but I feel like that one just sounds so fancy that people love saying croissant it. Croissant is kind of fun. Croissant. Which one? In fr- did I say it in French? Croissant. 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 <laughs> yeah, it croissant. is fun. But I still think it's overrated. But croissants themselves, they're good. Delicious. I love them. Big, like, greasy. Yeah. Recently, my friend made me a a croissant croissant (laughs) that was toasted and then had some egg salad on it. It was delicious. All right. I'll go. Okay. Full moons. Interesting. Just the moon in general, maybe, but especially full moons, (laughs) I think, are overrated. Too bright. People get most excited about looking outside at the sky when it's like a full moon, I feel like. And to me, it's way more interesting when it's like a really small sliver, like crescent moon or no moon, and you get all the stars. Yeah. I do sometimes on a long road trip really love a full moon, like drive at night, because you kind of get to see these weird night shadows and the whole landscape illuminated by moonlight. Mm. So sometimes I agree. I like my sky as dark as I can get it. Especially if you're driving by the ocean. And you get to see the waves and everything in the full No. Moon. Okay. All right. Barf. Barf. <laughs> Do you ever look at the moon and it kind of snaps into focus and realize that it's just actually a real huge piece of rock, like rock floating yeah. up there? It's yeah, so it's weird. It's just I think the moon's cool. Gravity. I'm all about the moon. Yeah. Uh, my overrated. What else would you think it is? Well, like you look up Jeez. at it and it just kind of looks like a disc in the sky if you just like take a glance at People it. Used you to know, think it's like, you don't really consider it. Or cheese, Wallace and Gromit. Yeah. They they discovered it was cheese. Okay. What do you think the people on the moon think of when they look at the earth? Uh, they're all on the dark side of it, so they don't even know we exist. Mm. Yeah. Mike, what do you think is overrated? Folk music. Or at least like 99% of it. I'm Here's where I come down on it. If you are emotionally affected by three chords and weak allegories, <laughs> that tells me more about your emotional state than the quality of the music. Right. I think you need help if okay. that's changing your life. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Shots fired. Especially when like it's usually some guy and like any warbly cries into the microphone. Yeah. Get out of here. All right. You're not sad. You're in a recording studio. Yeah. Stop. You could still be sad. I doubt it. This was definitely <laughs> one that was on your list because yeah. I can tell you're fired up about it. I'll be honest. Overrated. I like I like a lot of folk music. It's bad stuff okay. to listen to. When I listen to it, I'm like, this is bad. That's what I say. <laughs> All right. So our next category, what would Mike and Jeff do? And for this one, I'm going to do, what would you guys do if you were tasked with hunting and killing the shark responsible for these fatal bites? I mean, this one's easy. What are you yeah. doing? I'm just going to build a wall where the ocean and river channel are mm-hmm. and dry it out. Dry up the river? Yeah. But what about the ones that happen in the ocean? Oh, the shark's in the river now. Okay. Oh, so <laughs> he's enough. in the dry ditch of the river? Before it bites its yeah, way through. Yeah, just dry them all out. There you go. Okay. That's a good plan. But the, oh, Yeah, all right. Okay. 
It wasn't the ocean that fed the river, though. What was it? It was other streams. So why was there salt water in it? Because it was back and forth between the ocean. The tides would run into the creek. Mm. But that's all right. We'll take the wall. You could build a wall on all those little creeks. You know what I could do? What? Is just get that little Lester dummy. Uh Uh-huh. But... You're talking about the dummy, not the little kid, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. And I'd put it... I'd just put it like 10 feet on shore. Ooh, and just make the So shark. then the shark just comes out of the water and drives yeah, you up. You don't even need poison or dynamite. Yeah, you just get a really good Lester dummy. Well, right. that was that was kind of my idea. I was going to get one of those really poisonous puffer fish uh-huh. and get facial reconstructive surgery on it to make it look like Lester. <laughs> so the shark eats you the love, poisonous puffer fish. You love using puffer fish. Yeah. In it's a yeah. good... I mean, you can't resist. I mean, it's foolproof. Yeah. All right. Unless so, you got like a... Really good chef preparing it. Right. Uh, All right. So we're going to really quickly, we've talked about sharks a lot, but I do just want to do a quick refresher on what to do to actually avoid shark encounters and then what to do if you are actually bitten by a shark. Are you going to tell us how to kill a shark? No, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So the main thing is pay attention to conditions, to signs. So if you go to a beach and you see a sign warning of shark activity, Maybe don't go quite as far out as you typically would or just be really, you know, vigilant for sharks. Uh, look for murky water. Don't swim as much early or late. Um, if you do decide to swim, swim in larger crowds. They really don't like being around big groups of people for the most part. So if you go to a really popular beach, your chances of being bitten by a shark go down from being minuscule to even more minuscule. If you do see a shark while you're out in the water, keep your eyes on it. If you have anything you can keep in between you and the shark, put it between you and the shark and just continue to watch it, even if it's circling around you. If the shark knows that you're watching it, it's much less likely to rush in for a bite. Uh, If it does bite you, try and hit it on the nose and the eyes or stick your hands in its gills. And then as soon as it releases you, try and get to safety as quickly as possible. So if you're just seeing a shark, you want to be really calm in your retreat from the ocean because a lot of splashing and whatnot can attract them. If it's already bitten you, get get back as quick as possible. Don't worry Go about your splashing psycho. and stuff. Go full, yeah. Turbo mode. Turbo psycho yeah, Terminator. Mode. Yeah. T-1000. Yeah, exactly. Go naked. Uh, <laughs> all right. So those that's a little bit of information. There's a lot more information online. Do we know what Lester looked like? We kind of know it. Because yeah. if you look like him, stay out of the water. Yeah, I got a picture of you him. You think right that there, would actually. work to go naked? That's Lester. That's... I don't think I've, I'm getting a good idea of what he actually looks like. It's a drawing. If that's a, it's like the Sanji, the Sanji wanted poster. <laughs> All right. Um, what were you asking? So, like, I've seen some videos online where people are going to fight. And then one of the people will just take off all their clothes, mm-hmm. and the other guy wants nothing to do with no. them anymore. Like it's, it's a bad idea for sharks. It's crazy to fight a naked person. Yeah, yeah, you don't. So what yeah. if you just take your clothes off? No, actually, so that's actually an interesting thing that you bring up. I know because it's not great because question. of the reason that you're bringing it up. <laughs> there's there's a lot of evidence that the exposed skin can actually be a trigger for a shark to come in and bite mm. because the flashing, especially if you're like Caucasian, the like light flashing skin in the water can look like a fish. Mm. So like the more skin you have exposed, especially if you're like on a shark dive or something, you want to make sure that you have all your skin. So in. you're saying if we're showing too much skin, we're asking for it. No, that's not what I'm saying, <laughs> but I'm saying that <laughs> it's bad. not a good idea. Don't flash sharks. Yeah. 
So we're going to move on to Jeff, a random animal fact for the week. My random fact is that hummingbirds are the only birds that can fly backwards. Interesting. Yeah. And like, it's a little bit gray, like birds can fly like a tiny bit backwards, but it means like they can fly like a A substantial distance distance backwards. Cool. Interesting. And they can also fly like upside down and like... It's just all about the mechanics of how they fly is a lot different than how other birds fly. Cool. Hummingbirds, underrated. Yeah. Underrated I think they're cool. Bird. I love they're hummingbirds. Great. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. I mean, who's who's rating them? Who, who doesn't think they're cool? I'm sure there's some weirdo out there that's yeah. like, oh, you're <laughs> So they're underrated for that one person. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're going to do some listener questions. I got a couple subscription questions here from our subscribers on Patreon. Uh, first one is from Kyla. Kyla says, why do you think Australia gets such a bad rap for its wildlife? I know you've spoken about how India has more risk or injury of death by an animal, so I'm curious about your thoughts. I made a lot of mates working at a U.S. summer camp who vowed to never visit Australia because of the animals. That's crazy. Uh, she, or Kyla says, could just be bad friends, too. Yeah, they're yeah. bad friends. I would say I agree. Like It is kind of weird that we have that perception of Australia that some people do because Australians don't feel that way. They see stuff about like bears or I big cats or whatever. It's like a top 10 most no. dangerous wildlife place. But a lot of people do. And I think it is because there are some really venomous animals there. Snakes. In yeah. Particular. Snakes and spiders where people, those animals really trigger a certain fear in people. And sharks. Sharks and saltwater Croc- crocodiles. Yeah. But, and I also think it's because a lot of us grew up, on Crocodile Hunter, and he was constantly chasing animals that, you know, were somewhat dangerous. But really, Kyla's right. There yeah. are places in the world that are much more dangerous from a human perspective. I mean, and technically they have bears, but they're like the they're least not bears. dangerous. Technically, they don't have bears at all. Uh, Koalas? <laughs> yep, they're not bears. Good question, though, Kyla. Us Americans need to get our act together in a lot of America's ways. America's pretty high, right? We've uh, got sharks, grizzlies. Mountain Polar lions. bears. Yeah. Rattlers. Yeah. Rattleshoots. We don't have much po- venom. We do. Florida has the most shark attacks th- than anywhere else in the world. I was saying venom. I know, but I was going back to sharks. Okay, yeah. We don't have a ton of venom. We got more gators than crocodiles. Yeah, but gators do. You know, they tick people sometimes. Yeah. Um, next question's from Blaine. Hey, guys, longtime listener. I heard you talk about the big five. Oh, this is a perfect segue into this question. I heard you talk about the big five in Africa and was wondering what each of your personal opinions were on the American version of the big five. Yeah. Hmm. So I would say grizzly bear, bison, mountain lion. No, I'm not doing mountain lion. Grizzly bear, bison, American alligator. Huh. I mean, you've got room for the mountain lion now. Yeah. If you're struggling. But like, this isn't just predators. This is all animals. Okay. So I'd say you probably got to put bald eagle in there and then... My fifth one would be rattlesnake. I want a reptile. Or I, I have a reptile. I have alligator. So I'm not doing rattlesnake. Yeah. I'm trying to think of animals that are like uniquely American. Coyotes? Yeah, I like coyote. Sure. Coyote. I'm going to go completely different than you. So Ooh, let's black go bears black bear. Yeah. And then I'm taking skunks. Okay. Skunks are off the board. They I'll are. go I, elk. All right. And elk then, do exist in other countries, but that's okay. Yeah, so they're right. coyotes. Yeah, but they are American, like what? North and South America. Elk are in like Europe and stuff. There's not coyotes outside of America? No. Huh. Yeah, I'm just going. But I, I made some mistakes there too. I should have done black bear instead of grizzly. Yeah. 
Okay. I, I snap that up. Yeah, you do. I'll go rattlesnakes. Give me diamondback rattlesnakes. Okay. And, oh, this one's going to be the bad one. Okay. <laughs> I'll go with clocks ticking. Give me... Bobcat. Kestrels. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Skunk's a pretty good choice, though, because they're, they're kind of an American. I believe so, yeah. I'm going alligator, bison. I like that pick. Mountain lion, raccoon. Sure. Is that okay, Wes? Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> some of my picks exist. Like, there's a European bison. Sure. There's the, European yeah. brown bears. and They're Asian not as cool yeah. as... Uh, you can have a kestrel. <laughs> Mountain <laughs> lion's <laughs> actually not bad, because they are American. Uh, let's, there's got to be, a, like, a I cool want shark. Beaver. Great white. Yeah, great white. Okay. All right. I'm switching beaver for Kestrel. Turkey. Fair enough. Turkey. Ben Franklin wanted. He liked turkeys. All right. This one's from Autumn. If someone took poison and put it in a syringe and injected it into you, what? Would it then be considered venom? No. It'd still be poison that was injected (laughs) into you. Poison is, it's been like evolutionarily formulated to be ingested. Like the way it works is through ingestion. Or like through surface contact on your skin, venom has been formulated to work through injection. So I think if you injected poison, like if you took poison from, well, I don't know, because I guess they kill things with like with like poison dart. It would work. Yeah, still. it would probably work. Yeah, depends on the poison, but I don't think you'd call it venom. You'd still just call it poison that's been injected. Yeah. All right. Corey Ho eighty six wants to know boneless or traditional wings. <sighs> People are gonna hate me for my answer. Boneless. Boneless. Yeah. I like both for different reasons. So I'm I'm happy with either. I usually go bone. Yeah, bone I like in. bone. I like just gnawing on them like a dog. Yeah. I feel like for so long I'd go to wing places and and you get like scoffed at if you order boneless. <laughs> sure. But sometimes it's just better. Like it's just fun. It's like it's eating last time we fancy went chicken to nuggets. Yeah. Buffalo Wild Wings. I feel like the guy made fun of us. He did. And it's like, dude, you gotta be used to this yeah. by now. Yeah, like, right. you, you work at a wing every place. time. That dude but is a dork. They're too. so they're so different that it's like they're two different food items. Right. It's not even like the same thing to yeah. me. So there's a time and a place for both. I agree. This one we might not have an answer for. Okay. Euphrinax wanted to know, what's the most interesting animal you recently learned existed? Hmm. I'll go with your Snake Island episode, those snakes. Golden Lancehead. Golden Lancehead. Okay. That's a hard one for me. There's a, you know, I'm going to Ecuador this fall, and I just learned about this animal there called the Olonguito or Olingo, and... I've never heard of them. I might see them while I'm there. It's like a mammal that lives in trees. I think they're closely related to maybe raccoons. Hmm. But yeah, I'm excited to see them, hopefully. And I just learned about them. Cool. I'm preparing a bonus episode, a subscription episode right now. And I read about the lowland streaked tenrec. If you've ever heard of that. No. I didn't look up pictures or anything about it. I learned that they exist, though. What is it? I don't know. I have no idea. I just saw that that was an animal, and I was like, huh, maybe I'll do something with that. Okay. It looks like it's a little rodent or something. I'd also shout out Red River Hogs when I did the cutest baby animal bracket. Those things are cute. All right. Good shout out. Hannah, thanks, dude. Yeah. Hannah Noel Wilson, most overrated Lord of the Rings character. Overrated? I mean, I think all three of us would say Mary. No, that's not true. At all? Easily. <laughs> the one I always personally, I overrate is the Mouth of Sauron. 
I think he's like the coolest dude ever, but yeah. he doesn't do anything and then he gets he his just head cut immediately off. dies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm still just like that dude. He's my he's the he sickest. Is really cool. Maybe I I'd actually go that orc that like in the third one, Return of the King, that's like doing the inspections of everyone and he's like missing an eye and a nose. And Oh yeah. Then like it's yeah. obviously What's hobbits and he can't even like figure it out. That guy was overrated. Is his name Bold? position. I forget I just, what his you name would, is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm. You know, I'm gonna zig a little bit on this one, or zag, or whatever you say. I'm gonna say the Ringwraiths. Mm. I think they're really cool characters. I think I'm really glad they're in the movies. They're shockingly inept. <laughs> like they cannot kill those hobbits, and they try so hard, and they just can't figure it out. Yeah. Um, and they really never. I mean, there's the one scene where the one's flying the fell beast and it gets um, Boromir's brother, White, Faramir, and, like, the whole group. But that's... And then, like, Gandalf just, like, shines some light at it and it flies away. Yeah. I just feel like they're not that powerful, even though they are in the books. All right. See, Maxwell, if you could have a vacation home anywhere in the world, where would you choose? Flathead Lake, Montana. So just, like, an hour from your house? I think so. All right. Anywhere in the well, world. Well, anywhere in the world. I don't think I'd pick it. Well, it would be nice though how accessible it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's flathead for me. I'll go like tunnels, beach in Kauai. Kauai. I would treat it as like an investment, like the most expensive property, <laughs> like a penthouse in Tokyo or something. Yeah. Where it's just like a billion dollars per square foot. I think part of the reason I like Montana too is like it wouldn't feel like I'm building a place uh, like a nice home in a place where I don't belong. Yeah. You know, like sure. I'm like taking someone's land from them. Like Montana even though it, it sorry, I shouldn't say that. Like it definitely used to be someone else's land. Yeah. But I like grew up in Montana. I'm from Montana. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot to say I'd give my Hawaiian home to the, the <laughs> that's, that's what you meant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, we could tell. Callie Garcia. What's your death row final meal? Hmm. I think I want a really good diner grilled cheese. <laughs> like, you know, like the really good ones, the ones where you're just like, wow, this is a good grilled cheese. Sure. And then I want probably just like an amazingly cooked expensive steak too. Yeah. And some fresh pineapple from somewhere that has really amazing pineapple. All right. It's a weird, that's a weird mix of items. Yeah. 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 I like it. I'm going with a 24-hour diner buffet so I can just keep eating just eat forever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And like <laughs> not get killed. Exactly. Golden Corral. Is that 24 hours? No. Nah, Do buffets, are buffets I don't, open I've never for I'm sure there's like a Vegas one. drive through in Orem. That's there's terrible. There's a drive through. <laughs> yeah. Can you just keep driving through? Is that how it works? <laughs> that was my first job know. ever. That'd be good because crawl. then you would die of like a heart attack before they could kill you. Yeah. Jeez. I'd go pina colada. Give me a big old steak, some cheesecake for dessert. Yeah, I didn't even think about dessert. With caramel on it. Dessert's hard. I might have cut off some of your name, but you'll figure out who you are. Trend Daniel Jones asks, On the show you referenced that tigers are the best predator on land and orcas in the water. What's the best in the air? It's a good question. My pick would probably be golden eagles. Really? Yeah. For best pet, not a peregrine falcon? No, because golden eagles can dive almost as fast as them. Their eyesight's insane. Peregrine falcon is a really good pick, too, but I'd probably pick golden eagles. Okay. But I don't know. I don't think there's. What about a... to like catch a fish? Is golden eagle the best? No, that'd be like an osprey or a bald osprey. eagle. Yeah. Uh, Slack's Yard asks Hey, guys, I know Wes has told his cabin story, but do you all have any more ghost stories? 
Nope. Wait, I might. Your mom? She's no, I don't think she's been dead long enough. Don't you have? There's not there like I don't know. Yeah, what's, like what's your ghost story? Wes showed me a ghost on the wall last, last night. night. Yeah. Yep, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my answer too. Yeah. Last night's ghost on the wall. My friend Riley's convinced I have ghosts in my apartment. Uh huh. And so I'll just like oh. flip off the ceiling. And be like, you guys are, you guys are soft. Come at me, and nothing's happened yet. Well, so we I don't saw believe one here in last them. night. Yeah, oh, it was right here. up there on your wall. Yeah, the shoulder was. <laughs> I don't. Like, I don't believe in ghosts. Now you've pissed them off. They're I'm gonna get you. Trying tonight. to, dude. <laughs> do something, ghosts. If you're in here listening, just wait until I leave to tell him to do that. <laughs> Rattle some cupboards or something. Yeah, nothing. That's proof. I just proved ghosts don't, <laughs> don't exist. Okay, we're gonna do a quick conservation corner. So from 1837 to the present, New Jersey has only had 15 unprovoked shark attacks. There was an attack this year, or a bite. It was attributed to the fact that warmer ocean currents had led to an increased number of sharks along the Jersey shore, just like in 1916. So recently, this is really interesting. There was a study that came out where they used drone videos to document juvenile gray whites along beaches in Southern California. The study was conducted by Patrick T. Rex. Nice. And his co-authors. And it's super interesting. So there's beaches in Southern California where juvenile great whites are present pretty much every single day. Those beaches have people in the water pretty much every single day as well. So during this study period, which was between 2019 and 2021, they showed that 97% co-occupancy between juvenile great whites and humans at those beaches. So that means that for these two years, 97% of the days that they surveyed with these drones, they showed both great whites and people in the water at the same time. Oh, wow. So which if is you crazy. swam in like the LA ocean well, there's only This area. is certain beaches where there was like aggregations of great whites. But like near LA, if you swam in the water out there, there's a good chance you were close to a great white. Yeah, if you were lab. in one of these spots. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so that means even though these drones showed all these interactions, they not once saw an unprovoked attack or any kind of attack recorded during the study. So I think- Are the sharks stupid or something? No, they are juveniles. And you know we talk a lot about the number of attacks versus the people going into the water every single day. Um, we can talk about that for hours. Like every single day on this planet, there are millions and millions of people going into the water. And, you know, there's only a couple hundred shark attacks reported every year, if that. Um, they're really, shark really bites. Bites. Yeah. And I only think there's that many reported globally. They're so rare. And great whites have shown us again and again and again that we're just not a menu item for us, for them. And that's like a perfect, perfectly represented in this paper. That there's this physical proof that we are constantly swimming around juvenile gray whites, which again, the one they caught in this story was a juvenile, and there's just they're just not biting us. It's just not happening. So another thing we've talked about a lot on this show is the statistics on how many sharks we kill every year. And that number ranges from around 30 million to 100 million, depending on who you talk to. So even on the low end of 30 million sharks per year, that would mean just in the time that you guys have been listening to this episode, about 6,000 sharks have been killed. Oh, man. Which is crazy to think about, you know? And I and like that's across the species of sharks, and a lot of these are like smaller, more common sharks, it's still a ton of sharks. So that's something that needs to change, and I think perception is a really important part of conservation, and sharks, unfortunately, 
are hard to love for a lot of people, and they have been for a really long time. And the last thing we ever want to do on this show is add to that perception that sharks are scary, unlovable animals, or that for whatever reason, they're less deserving of an existence than other animals because they're scary to us. What they are is really beautiful, really efficient, ecologically important animals. The ocean's their habitat. We are visitors to that habitat, more so than probably any other habitat on Earth. The ocean is not suited for us. We are visiting. And we're very much a fish out of water, whatever the opposite of that is, you know? (laughs) The human in the water. Yeah. So I, in my opinion, like the risk is tiny, but we do have to accept a certain amount of risk when we go into the ocean. It's just not, it's a foreign environment to us. There are predators there. There are animals there that can do harm to us. And that's just a risk that we have to decide. And I think we're really lucky that we get to make that decision. And sharks don't. Like, we just go into their environment and harvest them at huge numbers. They're just minding their own business, and we are pulling them out of the oceans and killing them. So I just think it's, it's just something to think about. And there, I do have some good news. Great whites seem to be rebounding in many places where they had been overfished previously. So there was recently a report that I brought up not long ago in a different episode that there's now thought to be over 800 great white sharks frequenting the Cape Cod area, where not long ago they were hardly ever seeing a shark there. Hmm. And now they're used to think, they used to think like not long ago that there was only around 300 great white sharks around California, and now scientists estimate that there's over 2,000. So they are rebounding in a lot of places where we thought we had overfished them. And that's because of real concentrated conservation efforts. So th- this is one of the few animals in my life that when I've thought about like what's happening to them, I've gotten like legitimately really emotional. I just can't imagine a world without sharks. I think we owe them so much culturally. We owe them so much for inspiring us in so many different ways, even if that inspiration sometimes is fear. They're a big part of our world and they're really important to the ocean. They're incredibly beautiful. And I think we all just are so lucky to live in a world that has sharks. Yeah, no, I agree. We've definitely proven that we can cause a full extinction of species. Yeah. So like... Let's not do it to It's them. not something that's... Like that you don't need to worry about. Like, right, it's possible. You know, we yeah. need to worry about this. It's a big issue. And I don't care what your politics are as long as you care about sharks. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Mike, you got anything else? Nothing more to add. You said it as eloquently as uh, I could ever hope to, Wes. That was right. great. Well, we're, we're going to skip our, our claw ratings because we've done it multiple weeks in a row. But we all love sharks, and we love you guys. So thanks so much for joining us on this journey through our three-part series on the 1916 New Jersey Shark Bites. New joys. New joys. Thanks, guys. We love you. See you love next you time. Guys.